Chapter Three of My First Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. My First Book by Various. The Wreck of the Grosvenor by W. Clark Russell. I am complimented by an invitation to tell what I can recollect of the writing, publication, and reception of the earliest of my sea books. The wreck of the Grosvenor, I approach the subject with diffidence and ask the reader to forgive me if he thinks or finds me unduly egotistical. John Holsworth, chief mate, preceded the wreck of the Grosvenor i do not regard that story as a novel of the sea i was reluctant and timid in dealing with ocean topics when the scheme of that tale came into my head i contented myself with pulling off my shoes and socks and walking about ankle-deep into the ripples but in the grosvenor i went to sea like a man i signed articles aboard her as second mate I had ruffians for shipmates, and the stench of the harness cask was the animating influence of the narrative. It is the first sea book I ever wrote, in the sense I mean that its successors are sea books. What I have to say, therefore, agreeably to the plan of these personal contributions, will refer to it. At first I must write a few words about my own experience as a sailor. I went to sea in the year 1858, when I was a child of thirteen years and a few months old. My first ship was a well-known Australian liner, the Duncan Dunbar, commanded by an old salt named Neatby, who will always be memorable to me for his habit of wearing the tall chimney-pot hat of the london streets in all weathers and parallels whether in the roasting calms of the equator or in the snow-darkened hurricanes of the horn i went to sea as a midshipman as it is termed though i never could persuade myself that a lad in the merchant service no matter how heavy might be the premium his friends paid for him has a right to a title of grade or rating that belongs essentially and peculiarly to the royal navy i signed for a shilling a month and with the rest of us there were ten was called young gentlemen but we were put to work which an able seaman would have been within his rights in refusing as being what is called boy's duty i need not be particular enough that the discipline was as rough as though we had been lads in the forecastle with a huge boatswain and brutal boatswain's mates to look after us we paid ten guineas each as a contribution to some imagination of his stock of eatables from the midshipman's berth but my memory carries no more than a few tins of preserved potatoes a great number of bottles of pickles and a cask of exceedingly moist sugar therefore we were thrown upon the ship's provisions and i very soon became intimately acquainted with the quality and nature of the stores served out to forecastle hands 
i made but not after the manner of gulliver several voyages into remote nations of the world and in the eight years i was at sea i picked up enough knowledge to qualify me to give the public a few new ideas about the ocean life yet when the scribbling mania possessed me it was long before i could summon courage to write about the sea and sailors i asked myself who is interested in the merchant service what public shall i find to listen to me those who read novels want stories about love and elopements abductions and the several violations of the sanctities of domestic life the great mass of readers those who support the circulating libraries are ladies will it be possible to interest ladies in forecastle life and in the prosaics of the cabin then again i was frightened by the writer for boys he was very much at sea i never picked up a book of his without lighting upon some hideous act of piracy some astounding and unparalleled shipwreck some marvellous island of treasure this writer of a clan numerous as wadsworth's little lot of stars warned me off and affrighted me his paper ship had so long and successfully filled the public eye that i shrank from launching anything real anything with strakes and tree nails anything with running rigging so leading that a sailor would exactly know what to let go when the order was given in plain english i judged that the sea story had been irremediably depressed and rendered wholly ridiculous by the strenuous periodic and christmas labours of the writer for boys had he not sunk even marriott and michael scott who because they wrote about the sea were compelled in due course by the publishers to address themselves exclusively to boys the late george couples a man of fine genius in the course of a letter to me complained warmly of being made to figure as captain george couples upon the title-page of his admirable work the green hand he assured me that he was no captain and that his name thus written was merely a bookseller's dodge to recommend his story to boys and still i would sometimes think that if i would but take heart and go afloat in imagination under the old red flag i should find within the circle of the horizon such materials for a book as might recommend it at all events on the score of freshness only two writers had dealt with the mercantile side of the ocean life dana the author of two years before the mast and herman melville both of them it is needless to say americans i could not recollect a book written by an englishman relating as a work of fiction to shipboard life on the high seas under the flag of the merchant service i excluded the writer for boys i could recall no author who himself a practical seaman one who had slept with sailors eaten with them gone aloft with them and suffered with them had produced a book a novel call it what you will wholly based on what i may term the inner life of the forecastle and the cabin it chanced one day that a big ship with a mast-headed color telling of trouble on board let go her anchor in the downs i then lived in a town which overlooks those waters the crew of the ship had mutinied they had carried the vessel halfway down channel 
when discovering by that time what sort of provisions had been shipped for them they forced the master to shift his helm for the inwards course the crew of thirteen or fourteen hairy queerly attired fellows in scotch caps divers coloured shirts dungaree breeches stuffed into half wellingtons were brought before the magistrates the bench consisted of an old sea captain who had lost a ship in his day through the ill-conduct of his crew and whose hatred of the forecastle hand was strong and peculiar a parson who knew about as much of the sea as his wife a medical practitioner and a schoolmaster i was present and listened to the men's evidence and i also heard the captain's story samples of the food were produced a person with whom i had some acquaintance found me an opportunity to examine and taste samples of the forecastle provisions of the ship whose crew had mutinied nothing more atrociously nasty could be found amongst the neglected putrid sweepings of a butcher's back premises nothing viler in the shape of food ever set a famished mongrel hiccuping nevertheless this crew of thirteen or fourteen men for refusing to sail in the vessel unless fresh forecastle stores were shipped were sent to jail for terms ranging from three to six weeks some time earlier than this there had been legislation helpful to the seamen through the humane and impassioned struggles of mr samuel plimsoll the crazy rotten old coaster had been knocked into staves the avaricious owner had been compelled to load with some regard to the safety of sailors but i could not help thinking that the shore-going menace of the sailor's life did not lie merely in overloaded ships and in crazy porous hulls mutinies were incessantly happening in consequence of the loathsome food shipped for sailors use and many disasters attended these outbreaks when i came away from the magistrate's court after hearing the men sentenced i found my mind full of that crew's grievance i reflected upon what mr plimsoll had done and how much of the hidden parts of the sea life remained to be exposed to the public eye to the advantage of the sailor providing the subject should be dealt with by one who had himself suffered and very well understood what he sat down to write about this put into my head the idea of the tale which i afterwards called the wreck of the grosvenor i said to myself i'll found a story on a mutiny at sea occasioned entirely by the shipment of bad provisions for the crew no writer has as yet touched this ugly feature of the life dana is silent herman melville merely drops a joke or two as he rolls out of the caboose with a cube of salt horse in his hand it has never been made a serious canvas of and yet deeper tragedies lie in the stinking harness cask than in the started butt there are wilder and bloodier possibilities in a barrel of rotten pork and in a cask of worm-riddled ship's bread than in a whole passage of shifting cargoes and in a long round voyage of dead weight that sinks to the wash streak but if i was to find a public i must make my book a romance i must import the machinery of the petticoat the pannikin of rum i propose to offer must be palatable enough to tempt the lips of the ladies to sip it 
my publisher would want to market and if messrs muddy and smith would have none of me i should write in vain for assuredly i was not going to find a public among sailors sailors don't read a good many of them can't read those who can have little leisure and they do not care to fill up their spare hours with yarns of a calling which eighty out of a hundred of them loathe so i schemed out a nautical romance and went to work and in two months and a week i finished the story of the wreck of the grosvenor whilst i was writing at an eminent publisher a gentleman whose friendship i had been happy in possessing for many years asked me to let him have a sea story i think he had been looking into john holdsworth chief mate which some months before this time had been received with much kindness by the reviewers i sent him the manuscript of the wreck of the grosvenor one of his readers was a lady and to this lady my friend the publisher forwarded the manuscript with a request for a report on its merits now to send the manuscript of a sea-book to a woman to submit a narrative abounding in marine terms thunder-charged with the bully in our alley passions of the forecastle, throbbing with suppressed oaths clamorous with rolling oceans the like of which no female would ever dream of leaving her bunk to behold to submit all this and how much more to a lady for an opinion on its merits of course the poor woman barely understood a third of what she looked at and as obviously she couldn't quite collect the meaning of the remainder she pronounced against the whole she called it a catalogue of ship's furniture and the manuscript came back to me i never regret this i do not believe that this sea-book would have cut a figure in my old esteemed friend's list publishers are well known by the public for the sort of intellectual fare they deal in if i desired a charming story about flirtation divorce inconvenient husbands the state of the soul when it has flown out of the body the passions of the female heart while it still beats hot in the breast i should turn to my friend's list well assured of handsome satisfaction but i don't think i could read a sea-book published by him i should suspect the marine qualities of a jack who had run foul of and got smothered up in a whole wardrobe of female apparel grinning with a scarcely sunburned face through the horse-collar of a crinoline the deep-sea roll of his gait hampered and destroyed by the clinging folds of a flannel petticoat be this as it may i sent the manuscript of the wreck of the grosvenor to my old friend edward marston of the firm of samson low and co the firm offered me fifty pounds for it i took the money and signed the agreement in which i disposed of all rights do i murmur over the recollection of this fifty pounds which with another ten pounds kindly sent to me by mr marsden as the whole of or a part of a check received from messrs harper and brothers was all i ever got for this sea-book certainly not the transaction was absolutely fair and what learning there was was in my favour the book was an experiment it was published anonymously it might have fallen dead 
happily for publisher and author the book made its way i believe it was immediately successful in america and that its reception there somewhat influenced inquiry here american critics who try to vex me say that my books never would have been read in this country but for what was said of them in the states and for the publicity provided for them there by the twenty cent editions how far this is true i don't know but certainly the yankees are handsomer and prompter in their recognition of what pleases them than we are on our side what they like they raise a great cry over and the note of so mighty a concourse i don't doubt fetches an echo out of distances below the horizon it is many years now since the wreck of the grosvenor was written and i do not very clearly recollect its reception in this country i believe it speedily went into a second edition but before we talk of the edition seriously we must first learn the number of copies which made it since this was written my friend mr r b marston of the firm of sampson low and co has been good enough to look into the sales of the wreck of the grosvenor and he informs me that down to eighteen ninety one there had been sold thirty four thousand nine hundred fifty copies one of the most cordial welcomes the story received was from vanity fair i suppose that the review was written by the editor mr thomas gibson bowles until i learnt that the late mr james runciman was the author the critics on the whole were generous they thought the book fresh they judged that it was an original piece of work wrought largely out of the personal experiences of the writer one gentleman indeed said that he had crossed the channel on several occasions between boulogne and folkestone but had never witnessed such seas as i described and another that he had frequently travelled to plymouth on the great western railway in company with sailors but had never met such seamen as the forecastle hands i depicted the book is considered my best this perhaps because it was my first and its reputation lies in the memory and impression of its freshness it is far from being my best were it my property i would rewrite it i had quitted the sea some years when i wrote the story and here and there my memory played me false that is to say in the direction of certain minute technicalities and in accounts of the internal discipline of the ship yet on the whole the blunders are few considering how very complicated a fabric a vessel is and how ceaselessly one needs to go on living the life of the sea to hold all parts of it clear in the sight of the mind professionally the influence of the book has been small i have heard that it made one shipowner sorry and rather virtuous and that for some time his harness casks went their voyages fairly sweet he is however but a solitary figure the lonesome crusoe of my little principality of fancy as a piece of literature the wreck of the grosvenor has been occasionally imitated mr plimsoll i understand has lately been dealing with the subject of sailors food i heartily wish success to his efforts end of chapter three 
Recording by John Brandon.